following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Thank you, Brittany. Good to be with you tonight. In a smartphone world, image is everything. From the stars lining up to look perfect for the Oscars last weekend, to the pictures on our own social media feed, we set great stall by the image that we project. Which filter is going to look best on Instagram? What's the best angle for me in front of this smashed avocado on sourdough? What's the right amount of sweat for this post-gym selfie? Too much detail. And yet there's no getting away from the fact that all around us are signs that what really matters is not what is going on at the surface, but what is going on underneath in our hearts. The big royal story of this year has been the withdrawal of Harry and Meghan from full-time royal duties. And you don't need a degree in psychology to realise that for all their external beauty and glamour, these are new parents who are really struggling below the surface. Their hearts are torn and hurting, we might say, and that's what's driving their actions. And as one commentator remarked when Philip Schofield opened up about his own sexuality, it's a reminder that there's always more going on under the surface than first appears. The tragic death of Caroline Flack yesterday is sad evidence of, among other things, an emotional reality that is more broken than the image. The Bible word for this under-the-surface reality is the heart. In the Bible, the heart is not primarily the thing that pumps blood around our body, and there my biology knowledge ends, nor is it the place which generates romantic affections, as in so many Valentine's Day cards last Friday, But rather the heart is the place which shapes all our desires and decisions. In other words, it's the heart, not the head, that is the control centre for our choices and actions. And the Bible says again and again that what matters is therefore not our image, not what we look like, but what is going on in our hearts. So as it almost says in the account of King David being chosen, humans look on social media feeds, but God looks on the heart. And it's on this question of the human heart that I want us to focus today as we take our next step in the teaching series in the book of Exodus. An introduction if you're here for the first time, and a reminder if you're not. We're working through the book of Exodus, uh, the story of the release of God's people from captivity in Egypt and their journey in the desert towards the promised land. So far we've seen Moses called by God at the burning bush to go to Pharaoh and ask for freedom for the Hebrew slaves. 
And after a bit of what Bible scholars call argy-bargy, uh, Moses goes with his brother Aaron only for Pharaoh to explode and make the conditions of the Hebrew slaves harder than ever. And, and today's passage that Brittany just read from uh, Exodus chapter 6 and 7 takes the narrative forward a bit as Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh again, they receive short shrift, and so the scene is set for the ten plagues. But these verses also give us the chance to step back and look at a key theme in Exodus, which is the human heart. Pharaoh's heart is mentioned twice in this passage, and it will be much in view in the weeks to come. But I want to suggest that we look not just at Pharaoh's heart, but Moses' heart as well. And as we do so, we'll look at our own hearts too. And it will be in examining our own hearts that we prepare to gather around the Lord's table later. If you're here tonight exploring faith, working out what kind of Christian faith might mean for you, I hope you'll hear good news tonight that God does not ask for perfection, but for a humble heart. If you're already walking with Jesus, I hope you'll be challenged to consider your hearts afresh, but in so doing, amidst the challenge, there is enduring good news. If you've got your Bibles, we can open them together at uh, Exodus chapter 6, beginning at verse 28. Um, We're going to look at Moses' heart first of all, but as we do so, um, let's just set the scene for where we find uh, Moses. To be honest, he's not in a great place. He's at a low ebb. Um, You see, because after the first visit to Pharaoh, uh, persecution for the Hebrews has only increased. Yep, so the people he's meant to be leading, it's just got a whole lot worse. They, in turn, are furious at Moses and Aaron. Why did you get to do this? It was better in the old days. And Moses himself is questioning God about what's going on. So there's a whole set of kind of complaints going on. And at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, God repeats his promise that he's going to release his people, but the people don't listen again, and Moses himself doubts if Pharaoh is going to be any more receptive on this second visit. Verse 12, is the, um, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? In other words... My words aren't getting traction anywhere, let alone with the most person man, most important man around. So we pick things up in verse 28 with the Lord giving Moses fresh instructions to go to Pharaoh. I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. And what's Moses' response? Since I speak, you've got the theme, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? It is... A questioning response, isn't it? Rooted in anxiety and fear, in self-doubt and feeling ill-equipped. In other words, I'm not up to the job. Moses' heart, what's going on underneath the surface, is conflicted and confused. And given what's happened so far, it's not difficult to see why. But look what happens next. The Lord sets out what's going to happen, verses 1 to 5. This is what I'm going to do. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then it just says in verse 6, Moses with Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. And again we read in verse 10, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. You see... For all Moses' heart being confused and conflicted, ultimately he's obedient. He does what the Lord commands. 
I don't for one moment suggest that was an easy journey, but it was towards obedience to the Lord's will that his heart was turned. We're given no assurance here that Moses' heart was free of anxiety or fear. But we do have evidence that his heart was open and prepared to listen to the Lord's call and follow it. We'll come back to Moses' heart a little later on. But let's look at at Pharaoh's heart first. Uh, And before we do so, let's just note that Pharaoh here is not given a name. It's just Pharaoh the king. It's not like Ramesses or whatever the other Pharaoh's names were. It's just his title. It's almost as if this Pharaoh here is to stand for everyone who's in charge. And it's with this in mind that we need to look at his response in verse 13, right at the end of the passage. You see, Moses' uh, Moses's brother Aaron has done this amazing miracle where the staff is turned into a snake. Um, and Pharaoh effectively seeks to relativise it by getting his homegrown magicians to do the same. I, okay, well that was impressive, but we can do the same. But the only thing is that Aaron's snake eats up theirs. And in an ancient world, that was clearly a sign that Aaron had a power that was not available to Pharaoh's magicians. In other words, it's one nil to Aaron. Yeah? It was an assault on the authority of Pharaoh when he assumed himself to be invincible. And what's he do? He refuses to yield to this greater power. He will not listen or accede to Moses' request. He wants to keep his own power and not bow to any other authority. He's just been confronted with a sign that says, you're not as powerful as you thought. But instead, his heart became hard. Verse 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. There's a couple of readings about what it means when it said his heart became hard. I think a good one is that confronted with a potential loss of power, Pharaoh's heart becomes even more stubborn and unyielding. He's already said no once. He's just going to say no again even more firmly. But confronted with somebody who's saying you're not in charge, he says, yes, I am. His heart turns hard and no one is going to tell him who's in charge. And I think it's with this episode in mind that we should go back to what is a challenging reference to Pharaoh's heart in verse 3, where the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's a tough verse, because it would seem to say that Pharaoh doesn't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, That he doesn't really have a choice about whether his heart becomes hard, because the Lord's going to do it anyway. I don't think that's what's going on though, because I think what's going on in these verses 1 to 5 is like a a big picture overview of what's going to happen in the years to come. And God is foreseeing, foreknowing what the response of Pharaoh is going to be. That God will indeed harden a heart, but a heart which Pharaoh has hardened already. Yeah? God is simply saying that he will harden a heart which has already been hardened. This is what John Stott, a great New Testament writer and commentator, says, actually writing on Romans 9, 18, where the subject of hardened hearts is being discussed. And I quote, he says, Neither here nor anywhere else is God said to harden anyone who had not first hardened himself. 
that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and refused to humble himself is made plain in the story. So God's hardening of him was a judicial act, abandoning him to his own stubbornness. Do you see what I mean? That there's mystery here. There always is when we have a God who stands outside history and sees all the future. I'm not saying it gets rid of all the problems. But I think we can be clear here that what is going on in Pharaoh's heart is not some predetermined response, but the response of a proud heart that does not want to yield power. A heart where he is always in the right, where he is always in charge, where he is answerable to no one. Pharaoh will not bow the knee to anyone, earthly or heavenly. And it's a theme that will become familiar as the sad story of the plagues unfolds. It is from Pharaoh's proud and stubborn heart that his actions and such suffering will follow. So, we have a tale of two hearts. Moses' heart is, yes, confused and conflicted, but ultimately obedient. Pharaoh's heart is proud and stubborn, yielding to no one, not even when confronted with this sign of clear heavenly power. I hope it's not a tremendous shock that I'm suggesting that we might possibly assess our own hearts against those two examples before us. But as we do so, let's just update the signs that we have about God's power and God's authority. Because we've got more than a staff being turned into a snake. We have the great saving acts of God in history from the exodus to beyond. But our greatest sign, our greatest sign that was being given to us of God's victory is the sign of Jesus. The sign of God himself coming to earth to a Bethlehem manger living in a Nazareth home, teaching on a Galilee shore, dying on a Jerusalem cross for you and me, and being raised from a garden tomb, breaking through death in the most wonderful miracle in history. We have more than a staff turning to a snake. We have Jesus showing God's wonderful victory over sin and death. And what is our response to that mighty work of God? Is is it as a heart like Moses, which is yielding and tender to the things of God? And I think as we respond to Jesus, the key mark of a heart like Moses is humility and repentance. A heart that recognises that we are not perfect as we are. That we are broken people in need of mending. Lost people in need of being found. And yes, sinners in need of a saviour. And so we come to God in repentance saying sorry for the way we have turned our backs on God. And thank you for that gift of Jesus. From Bethlehem to Nazareth to Galilee, to Jerusalem, to the empty tomb. Note that a humble heart 
does not mean a sorted heart. It is not a heart without confusion or questions any more than Moses' heart was. We have doubts and fears, but we bring them to God on our knees, willing to obey his call to repent. That's the heart that follows Moses' example. But is our heart like Pharaoh's, proud and unyielding? We, we may believe in God, but does our heart tell us that we're always right, that God is there to serve our interests, not the other way around? Do we love the autonomy that we have to make our own choices, and do we bristle at the idea of coming under someone else's authority? Or is our heart full of another type of pride, a pride of, from that comes from being absolutely sure that we're better than others, that we've pitched our tent on the moral high ground from where we can peer down in superiority at others and their choices. Do we love to hear about other people's mistakes because they reinforce a sense of superiority, in which case our proud hearts point to the fact that we think, actually, that we've saved ourselves, not Jesus. Jesus told a story about two people with two hearts, a tale of two hearts. It was the story of two people visiting the temple in Jerusalem, that place where human beings came to encounter the living God. The two people were a Pharisee and a tax collector. The tax collector stood some way off, eyes to the floor, beating his breast Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. His heart was soft, broken, confused, repentant, and soft. The Pharisee came right up close, recounted all the things that qualified him before God and thanked God he wasn't like that tax collector over there. His heart was hard, proud, obsessed with his own achievements and how others saw him and hard. In a world where many of us know the gap between what our images say to others and what our hearts say to ourselves, there's some amazing news here. The model of faith is not Pharaoh with his proud and unbending heart. The model of faith is Moses, whose heart was confused, questioning, but happy to come under the loving purposes of God. You see... God isn't really interested in our social media profile. God sees our hearts. Now, that's a problem if we expect God to be impressed with how clever we are or how beautiful we are or how many followers we have. Because he isn't. If our hearts are proud and there is no room for God, he's not impressed. But if the hearts God sees are messy and broken but open to the forgiving, redeeming, transforming love of God in Christ, there's good news. For as a future leader of the Israelites, King David was to say, 
a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. One of the things that drew me to faith when I was 18 was that God saw my heart, which was much messier than I liked to let on, but did not turn me away. Within a world where image is everything, we need to hear this very clearly. Our hearts matter. Within this evolving narrative of God's saving purposes, this point comes clearly out. It will be the fault line between Moses and Pharaoh as Moses, with all his frailty, yields his heart to the Lord's will and Pharaoh hardens his heart evermore. And tonight we gather at the Lord's table where we're invited to take our place within the narrative of God's saving purposes. Purposes crowned in a body broken and blood shed for the sins of the whole world. So will we come with humble hearts, opening our hands to receive what we have not earned and do not deserve? Will we come with repentance and faith, with hearts open to the love and forgiveness of God? Will we come as we are, confused, conflicted, questioning, but knowing that a broken and contrite heart God will never despise. And will we receive in our hearts afresh by his spirit the peace and presence of God? Let's pray. Oh Lord, We pray that as we come with broken and contrite hearts, you will give us the grace to know that in Jesus Christ we may find hope and restoration and forgiveness and mercy and help. And give us hearts, Lord, we pray, that are tender and open to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.